This is our streaming. Yeah, start streaming in a second. And... There we go. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to uh, the Accidental Journalist uh, Live and Undrugged episode six. Um, I have uh, Jazz Rinder uh, Sangera um, tonight talking about life, um, her books, and uh, everything in between. Tonight's episode is sponsored by uh, Jason Edwards uh, and his book Monsters Among Us, um, which is about uh, spotting the narcissists in your life. Um, so, yeah. Um, hi, Jazz. Thanks for coming on. Good to be here. Um, it's, it's great to finally have you. Um, so let's, can we just take you back to the start? Um, I'll go back to the beginning and um, let, tell us where you're from and what started you off on the, on the journey, really. Yeah, absolutely, Jack. And Jack, can I just say, it's great to be here. And actually how, how you found me is an interesting part of the being here right now because you connected with me we've never met we've never actually spoken until tonight I've never even seen you until tonight and it's great that we're here and you said to me that as part of your podcast you'd like more people to hear about this issue and I really yeah. appreciate that I yes. do I sincerely do so um for me I'll start with saying um my journey started as somebody that was born in this country and I don't know if people can hear and see me but I regard myself for as British as you are. I was born here with my seven sisters and one brother. My mother and father came from India in the late 1950s in search of work. They were invited here by government because there was um, a shortage of jobs let's say and uh, I have to say, they came here and did the jobs that most people didn't want to do. Yeah. And my father was a foundry worker for most of his life. And we were born here and uh, we went to school in Derby. My hometown is Derby. I'm a Derby County supporter. Some people might hear this for my sins, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> um, and I remember being at school, like all my other mates, and growing up and wanting to be something when I grew up, but not being allowed to think outside that box. Because one of the things I understood from watching my sisters was that, because I was younger than them, was that your life is mapped out for you. Your family have got other ideas for you. You can be married to some stranger, taken out of the country, forced to marry this man, and then come back to England and then sponsor him over and that's it that's your lot and I remember watching that and thinking I don't want that for me and I remember being 14 years old coming home from school one day bearing in mind I'd watch three of my sisters being married in that way and my mother sat me down and it was my mother and I'm ashamed to say that because you know, people think women are not perpetrators, but actually in this space, they are. I'm being quite frank about that. My mother was a perpetrator. 
when we think about forced marriage and honor-based abuse, sadly, women are mothers, aunties, mother-in-laws, sisters. And she showed me the photograph of a man I was to learn as promised to from the age of eight. And I said, I dare to say, I'm not marrying him. I want to go to school. I want to go to college. Dare I say, I want to go to university, whatever my path was. And my mother reminded me of the fact that she had allowed me to go to school for all these years. I mean, somewhere I owed her something. And that I would not disown this family by saying no to this marriage. Because to say no is hugely, hugely shameful. And it's a huge cost to the family. And I went back to school until I was 15 and a half. And at the age of 15 and a half, I protested more. That's when my family took me out of education and held me a prisoner in my own home. The way to describe that is imagine yourself in a cell even, thrown in a room, a padlock on the outside of the door, people knocking on the door to allow you to go to the toilet, um, food being brought to the door until you agree to the marriage. And I said yes in the end, purely to plan my escape. I ran away from home at the age of 16 to make the point. I was born in England. I'm not marrying a stranger. And surely I should have the right to an education, the right to marry who I want to. And as a result of that, um, my family gave me a choice. And it was a choice as a 16-year-old. The choice was this, simply. You marry who we say, you come back to the family and you conform to an honour system that deprives a woman of her rights, her right to marry who she wants to marry, her rights of freedom and independence, or from this day forward, you are dead in our eyes. So as a 16-year-old, there's many 16-year-olds out there that may be feeling this. I made the decision not to go back home and subsequently, I've been disowned by my family for almost 40 years, as have my three children and three grandchildren. Um, but I don't regret that decision. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit more. So that's me as an instruction. That must have been so hard to... Um... I mean, I, I had, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm adopted and I, I had two very loving um, and adop adoptive parents, you know, and I was, I was shielded from pretty much everything like that. Um, and I would never have seen it, you know, mm. I'd have never known about it. Um, I didn't for, for years um, through I suppose both of us, my parents and I didn't 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 speak, um, and that was hard, yeah. um, and that must have been hard for a, a young sixteen year old girl um, to be actually pushed out of the family. You know, I, I can't imagine what that that would do do to your heart. I think, as an older person, a more mature person, person, let's say, I look back now. And I'm kinder to myself in understanding the vulnerability at that time. Because at 16, and bear in mind, you know, I lived my life literally under a bus shelter, you know, 
weren't allowed to date. Our lives were very different to our peers. Um, we keep our vulnerabilities to ourselves. And it's not until I come to this place of being a lot older, having children, having grandchildren, that I understand that that, that person at 16, 17, 18, 19 onwards had a lot of vulnerabilities because of what happened to her when she was younger, that I can appreciate that without guilt, if that makes sense. So vulnerability is a gift in the hands of the person that you choose to trust. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, people can take advantage of your vulnerability yes. and they have in my case in years. Um, and luckily for me, now I'm in a place where I can look back and think, actually, you were 16, no, you know, you were not cared for in the way you should have been as a parent, as a parent should care for a child mm -hmm. and being a mother and a grandmother, I understand that. But at the time, I beat myself up because I didn't feel I was good enough. You know, I felt that I'd done this to my family. You start to believe that you're less than what you deserve. And in some ways, that less deserving person becomes part of you as you get older. You see, I think the people that have been broken become the experts of mending. And, but, but, but that kind of space where you feel unlovable and unworthy, and that brokenness makes you feel less than you are worth. But it can take time and experience and the right people, you meet, I've met lots of wrong people to make you feel that actually, you know, you're okay. That wasn't your fault. And that takes time. It does. It does. It, it, um, I think the thing that sits on sort of any vulnerable per person's heart, any sort of survivor's heart really is um, we take guilt and shame and we hide them all in, inside there and we try and put a lock on it and we try and keep it in. But at the end of the day, it it, it comes out at times and, and, and that shapes us as people. Absolutely. So uh, uh, as a 16 year old, uh, vulnerable, uh, you know, your, your family's disowned you. What do you do then? See, the thing for me is I can look back at my 16-year-old self and I know it's a cliche that people who are older in their years can look back and say, what would you say to your 16-year-old self? Mm -hmm. You know, and hindsight is a wonderful thing. But, you know, the journey requires more courage because you're actually looking back and thinking about the family that you are part of, because, because they're family, we're meant to have relationships with them. You know, because they're family, we're expected to get on with them. And be in that space, we do make excuses, and I did, for their bad behavior when I was 16. I kind of like looked at them and felt that I was the bad guy. 
because they were my family and I almost had this obligation to them and a duty to them. And that kept me from actually seeing it for what it was. It took me a long time. So I felt like I was a perpetrator from 16 to 19. And I, and I described this space as feeling unlovable and unworthy. And this was the space where I felt that I just wanted their acceptance. I just wanted them to accept me because I was a bad guy. That's how I felt. Um, and it took a long time before I realised, and to be honest with you, 55 now, Jack, and I, I'm just beginning to recognise that my upbringing was um, a space where it inhibited me from actually expressing my emotions, that the unwritten family rules of engagement actually came from a very close family system. So um, in that 16-year-old place, I was homeless. I slept on hot benches. I felt the um, comfort of washing my face in public conveniences because it was hot running water, <laughs> you know. And sleeping on a park bench that you could stretch out on instead of sleeping in the car felt good. Mm. And hoping and living with the hope that your family would just accept you, accept your choices. And as I'm older, I look back and I think, why? There's so many questions about why. You see, the emotional intensity of that experience sets the memory in a place where you don't forget it. It's as if it was right now. You have to train yourself almost to appreciate that's not now, that was then. Yeah. And now is different. And you're okay because you've actually moved on leaps and bounds from them. Um and that's it, really. Yeah. Um, I think that... I suppose that's that's what trauma does. It robs you of... Um, not not just your, your youth of time. It, it, it robs you of a lot of time. You know, I'm still... Yeah, I'm, far, I'm nearly 44. Um, and I'm still learning about trauma and, and learning about healing mm. and learning about unforgiveness and learning yeah. about shame and, and, and guilt and how they sit on you. And that, that's so, that's difficult for a 44 year old man. So, uh, you know, you know uh, and I didn't even look at that for years. You know, I, I, I stunted that with um, abusing myself with, drugs and, and and whatever whatever dangerous behavior um to get away from that and to try and forget that um so that's that's the way that i dealt with it mm. how, how did you, you sort of deal with it as a you, you know i think firstly i understand completely what you're saying and like if i look back now as my 55 year old self i recognize those behaviours then, and I, I kind of like think at the time I was doing it, I felt incredibly guilty about it, like the abuse of 
prescription drugs, let's say, or alcohol or whatever. And um, you look back and you think, yeah, I, I, I recognize why I was doing that. <laughs> you know, um, part of it is grief because grief is something that we need to acknowledge and and it's very difficult for me when I think about losing my family at 16 and I'm disowned by my family. So just to get people to understand that, that means that they totally ignore you. So if I go to my hometown in Derby, my family will cross the road if they see me, they'll ignore me, they've ignored my children in time. And you have to learn to remove all expectations of a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, all those. You know, Charles Darwin said, um, disappointments are born out of expectations. You know, if you expect something, you're going to be disappointed. You know, it's one of those sayings. So I've had to learn that. And I've had to learn that, you know, never the two shall meet and so people will understand that but it really takes courage because we're meant to I shared a womb with my brother and sisters let's say and we're meant to actually have a connection with our family but then I think to myself and this is for anybody listening not because I've gone through forced marriage whatever but we wouldn't allow a friend to treat us less than we deserve. So why do we allow family to? You know, because we do, because they're family. So I've learned to lessen that. And as I've got older, I've learned to help my children because my children were disowned as well. Yeah. When they said to me, mom, so where daddy has got a grandma and granddad and aunties and uncles, where's yours? So age appropriate, I've had to explain to them yeah. in a way it's healthy because i'm explaining to them what is a healthy relationship what is not why do we make excuses for family because we do we all do but i don't anymore and in fact recently because of covid and i'll share this with people listening you know i i was really curious about my own family how are they are they alive are they not are you disowned you don't know if family are alive or dead, being quite frank with you. So my daughter, bless her, Natasha, I said to her, just because she connects on Facebook with my sister, mm-hmm. just, just, just ask them how they are. So she did. And my sister sent out, sent out a very strong message. She's younger than me. She was actually forced to marry the man that I was promised to. And um, she said, um, she told Jasmine that ship sailed a long time ago. So basically she's saying, not interested, let her know the ship sailed a long time ago. And Natasha didn't didn't want to tell me that news. And she was in a place where I asked her day after day, have you heard anything, have you heard anything? She said, well, not yet, not yet. And I could tell she was putting it off. So I said to her, darling, I said, it's okay. I'm not in that place where I was when I was 16 to 21, where I used to go home and cry myself to sleep. And I did. You know, I described my 16 to 19 year old self years of living with the curtains drawn um, because I was missing my family terribly. 
she says, Mom, I need to tell you that this is what she said. And I felt a sense of, okay, I know where I stand. It's, it's not less painful, but at least I know where I stand. Because for people listening to this, if you know where you stand, then there's a point of acceptance that you can accept that and move on. And that's really important because you really have to be totally honest with yourself and, and honour how you feel and ask yourself, why am I feeling like this? And if it's, it's because of somebody else's position that is not enabling you, that's quite painful, then maybe you have to agree, never the two shall meet. And that's what I had to agree. Yeah, I suppose... For me, it's, it's the not knowing that has really caused, um, I, I, I suppose, caused the most damage, um, and it's, it's the reason why, why why I picked up and picked up time and time again, um, you know. But again, I I, I marked my my inadequacies with addiction with violence you know to not do that um takes a certain amount of strength um yeah i've come through it but um you know it takes a certain amount of strength to go through it and not sort of harm yourself in any sort of way um i i used to believe you know i used to think you know um if if you know if I didn't know how someone felt about me, that, that 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 would tear at my heart. And then I learned that actually, um, it's mind over matter, and if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I've had to sort of put that into my head, yeah. you know, over the past six seven years, um, mm-hmm. and sort of reprogram myself because I I don't have anything. But to be I mean, would you say that you, to a certain point, and your sisters were brainwashed in in this? Is that what your families do? Do they brainwash you? I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Jack, there when you said reprogram yourself because of the years of conditioning. I mean, with all of us, let's be honest, we learn our rights and wrongs from our parents, from our upbringing. You know, they, they, it's night now. If they told me this was day as a young person growing up, I believe this was day. I'd mm-hmm. say as an older person, this is not night, this is day. You know, so the, repro- the conditioning you're talking about is coercive and controlling behavior. That's yeah. what it is. You know, they're teaching you what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And this is the thing about young people, you know, the parents have the power in this space mm. and they have the ability to tell us how to think and feel. And we have this power imbalance because they're our parents and the fear is there for us in terms of not wanting to let them down that we believe them. Why, why wouldn't we, as a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old, why wouldn't we believe them? And this is how abuse can perpetuate because 
they're the people we trust. And, you know, this is where we have to, when we get older, the sad thing is when we realize this as we get older, for me, I'm 55 and I'm only just beginning to understand the grief that I'm actually trying to rationalize in my own head about the loss of family being one, but also, if I'm honest, the sheer anger yeah. at how my mother allowed me to marry, to think I could marry a stranger and that was okay. And as a mother myself and a grandmother, I'd never allow my children to do that. You know, but my, as a mother, how could you allow that? And as a campaigner, you know, I've dealt with so thousands of victims in my time. And I look at some mothers and fathers who kill their children in the name of so-called honour. And I think to myself, there is no rational explanation for that. So when people say to me, but Jasminder, why? I have to say, I can't answer that because there's actually no answer for why. But it makes me angry in terms of how can you allow your child to suffer in that way? For what? What people think is this concept that you uphold before your own child. So as a 55-year-old self, I look back and I think the decision I made when I was 16 was the right one. You know, I didn't know that at 16, but my children will never, ever have to inherit that legacy of abuse. Yeah, because that's exactly what it is. You see, 2016, I, I wrote my second book, now second book, uh, um, mm. speaking to survivors of human trafficking. Yeah. I felt it was a journey that I needed to go on, um, that I needed to understand. I had a friend that was trafficked, a really good friend that was trafficked. And, um, you know, I needed to slay some demons. So I sort of, I, I wrote that book and that's when I came across sort of the concept of forced marriage, honor-based abuse, uh, you know, a, a lot of it didn't make it into the book. Um, you know, as, as a Christian, I, I, I prayed about some of it. As, as a man, I really struggled with some of it. Um, yeah. But I really want to, and I want, I, I talk to a lot of ex-criminals because I know about being an ex-criminal. I talk to um, people that have been through certain things because I've been th through certain things uh, and people watch me for that. Um, however, I have a set of car beliefs. I have a set of things and I need to people to see the real, re, re, realism of forced marriage and um, on a base crime. Um, it, it, it tears my heart. I did, you, you know, pray before I messaged you and I did 
think about what I wanted to say. Um, and I really want wanted you on here because I want the people that follow me, my fans, my friends, uh, my family. Um, I want my daughter to be able to watch this um, and see a strong woman talking about real injustice that is out there. Um, and we don't think about on a base cancer. We, 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 that's, you know, the thing that I've learned since writing the book is people are all right if it's a, a, a certain distance away. Yeah. You know, I've been threatened. I've been banned from Facebook, um, you know, all over the book. It's been reported as extreme pornography, um, you know, because I've told the truth uh, and I wanted you to come on here and tell the truth in its whole rawness um, because people need to hear it. And I'm sorry if, well, no, I'm not even sorry if this is going to make people feel uncomfortable. You, you need to hear it. Um, the, the podcasts are rife with men and there's lots of men that are getting the stories out. The, the, there aren't many women. There's representation is low for women and that's why I wanted you on here to that. tell the truth. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, I kind of deviated off the point there, but so, so yeah, you know. You haven't, and I appreciate what you said, because when I think about how our paths would have crossed, I think to myself, well, how would they have crossed? And I, I'm a Christian too, and I literally pray for platforms to speak about the issue. But for me, I want to be able to speak to people that have not heard about the issue. And your audience may not have heard about this issue. And I'm thankful that they're listening right now because what I want them to understand is that, you know, I'm your neighbor. I was born here. And my sister, Rubina, was somebody who took her own life she set herself on fire and she died. She was forced to marry when she was 15 years old. And in her name, I developed the charity Carmen of Honor. So for me, her death must never be in vain. Her death is one of many that have happened since her death. And I want you to feel the compassion for humanity in the same way that I do. And it's, it's really important that I'm here now talking to you, Jack, because I, I'll be honest, Jack, I'd not heard of you before this podcast. I'm being honest with you. You may not have heard not of me. a lot of people have. Well, hey, they need to, but I'm just being honest with you. Um, and it's important that we all work together on the issues that matter to humanity. Yeah. That, that, that's what matters to me. And... You know, when I leave this planet, I want it to be carried on in the same way. Um, I'm somebody that believes that my life has, I was born upside down as the only one born upside down in all my sisters. As the only one born in the hospital, they were all born at home. My mother used to remind me of my difference from a young age. 
<laughs> and in a way she helped me believe that difference was not a bad thing albeit I was beaten because it was a bad thing and um, when you shared your story with me Jack and I really want to know more about your story from one is know this podcast is with me but I admired your courage in terms of your journey yourself from what happened with you I have nothing but admiration in terms of the journey of a, a survivor as a fellow survivor and and you said you couldn't read and write until you were 21 well I did not read a book until I was 28 years old I could read and write but I did not read a book until I was 28 I'd love to hear more about that if I'm allowed to on this podcast yeah um I I was um like I said, I'm, I'm adopted. Um, so I was brought up in a small town in Yorkshire, um, a, uh, a market town that's surrounded by mining towns, mining towns on every every side. So I grew up during... Can uh, you say uh, where? Uh, yeah, uh, just outside Wakefield. Um, okay. okay. And um, it was a very close-knit community. Uh, everybody knew everybody. Yeah. Um, they still do to a certain extent. I sure. went home not so long ago, and it's, it's still sort of reeving from the um, you know desolation of the eighties, from when the a lot of the mines closed down. Yeah, um, I always felt different. Um, I always had a, a good head for knowledge, and I always I was good at mimicking people, and I was I was good at, at words, but I couldn't write them down so that was always sort of uh, indifference for me and then um, I was told on my eighth birthday um, through no choice no choice of their own that um, I was loved very much but I'm adopted um, and that I initially belonged to somebody else and that I was How taken because I was loved so I was adopted when I was quite young yeah. uh, I was fostered from when I was quite young um, but I, I believe um, I believe that um, my parents um, had to tell me by the time I was eight. So mm -hmm. I remember having this really nice day of pop and crisps and I, I got a, an Indian teepee um, for my birthday that was out in the back garden and, you know, all these things. And then I was told I was adopted um, and that became the catalyst of all my fears um, it became the reason why I felt different. Hence, it became the reason why I picked up drink and drugs, um, or one of the reasons. Um, and I went on a, that sort of, it, it kind of, I used to say it ruined me, but it, it, it took me into a darkness from which took a long time that I'm almost still now coming out of. Um, so those fears and those insecurities, um, the fear of loss um, was a, a, a big, big one for me. The fear of rejection, um, you know, uh, drugs my whole life, violence, um, hate, you know, um, addiction to lots of other things. Um, 
So in a way, in, in a way, Jack, that actually made you? It did. And I realised that. Um, and it's, you know, I have friends that, um, you know, don't understand why I talk like I do about my past. But my past is the biggest weapon in my arsenal. Yeah, I've gone through some seriously shady shit, and I've I, yeah. excuse the language, sorry, but um, you know, oh, and I've, I've I've done some seriously dodgy things, and I've not been the nicest man to know, you know. Um, and there are people out there that don't like me, and that I used to use on the fact that they didn't like me because why didn't they like me? Why don't people like me? That fear of rejection. Um, and then, um, you know, I don't want to go too far into it, but then when I ended up in hospital in 2015 and I died for four minutes, I came back a new man. I came back without those fears. I, I, I came back with brain damage through hypoxia. Um, that helped, <laughs> um, and I, you know, I don't have the desire to use it. I haven't used in coming up seven years. Um, my life is so much better. I have a wife. I have my daughter. I have stepchildren. I have step grandchildren. Um, I have a, a community that respects me, and you know, I have a, a community of people that love me. When I was sat in that hospital bed and I thought nobody wanted anything to do with me, the church that I'd been going to for a couple of months, mm. there was somebody from that church sat by my bed every day, holding my hand, mopping my brow, listening to me shout at them, spit at them, thinking they were sent from Satan, thinking mm. that God was ending the world because I'd caused a pandemic, which is quite poetic justice now but you know hmm. um and they sat there and just told me that they love me and they were there for me um that was a defining moment but how difficult was that to accept because i i, I found it quite difficult to hear that i i still do i i've done some i had a lot of guilt and shame and i'm sure yeah. you know you, you, you yeah. know you know well, yeah. most people, what mm. guilt and shame does to a person, sure. how it destroys your heart, how it, you know, how unforgiveness really sort of, like unforgiveness is like drinking poison and yeah. then expecting the other person to die. Mm. Um, you know, um, I lived on that for a long time and I don't understand why, you know, I did, I used to not understand why people didn't like me. Mm. Now it's to the point where I understand what, why do people like me? Why are, why do people follow me and listen to me? Why do people, you know, um, watch this? Why do people buy my books? Why do people do this? Why do people do that? And I couldn't understand it. Um, you know, and it's, it's that's a journey in itself. Yeah. But would you care if they didn't like you now? No, no, because there are a lot of people out there that really don't like me. Yeah. But um, I'm asking you that, Jack, because I was raised in a family 
where you always had to behave according to what people thought. And it's taken me time to unlearn that it doesn't matter what people think about you, actually. So yeah. it's taken time. That's why I'm asking you that question. It's taken a lot of time for me to get where I am. To I've battled with mental illness my whole life. Yeah. Um, now I don't have the um, ability to use that which was taken away. God took that away. Thankfully, he took the first away. Um, mm. That's another story in itself for another time. But, um, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm still learning. It's a journey. I make mistakes. I, you know, I don't always understand what when people are trying to be, you know, trying to do something nice. And I don't understand why, because obviously if somebody's trying to do something nice, there must be some ulterior motive. You know, it's that sort of, it's that f- fight. It's not fight or fight for me. It's fight or fight. Yeah. Um, why are they doing that? Your defensive mechanism, the wall comes up. What exactly. do you want? I, 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 you know, I can't punch someone anymore. <laughs> that that was the primary go-to. They piss yeah. you off, you punch him. Yeah. And it's it's yo, know, so it's about change. Um yeah. it's about it's about you also accepting that somebody could just be nice to you because you are a nice person and that it could be that you don't have to worry about the vulnerabilities of somebody taking advantage of you. Yeah, but I don't think there are people out there that will still try and take advantage. Yeah, but, but you're wiser to that now. Yeah, I mean, I carry a yeah. prayer as a tattoo on my arm, and I, but I also carry it on my heart. Um, you know, I, I I work a 12-step program. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's, you know, kind of what you were saying. It's, it's But in its long longer form, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That's a big one for me. Mm. Um give me the courage to change the things I can yeah and wisdom to know the difference yeah and but the the thing that you know that that is said in in rooms all around the world but yeah. actually the prayer that that is from mm. it carries on mm. uh, and, and, and you know uh, living one day at a time accepting one moment at a time accepting hardship as a pathway to peace that's that that was a kicker for me, accepting the hardship as a pathway to peace because all the years why I blamed me? other people. Yeah, why me? I blamed other people. <laughs> why me? Why me? You know, yeah. God, ah, you know, why me? Um, you know, sure, why God. are you doing this to me, God? Why are you doing this to me? Um, and it's, in fact, it, taking, um, taking heed of my own actions you know, accepting actually what I've done wrong, taking responsibility for my life and not expecting other people to run my life for me. Um, And I think that's where things started to get a little clearer. And that's when, you know, know, it took a lot of faith and... Uh, stepping over a lot of fear for me to do this. I'm confident in writing. I'm not the most confident speaker in the world. Um, you know, I can't always articulate my point, especially with the brain damage. I sometimes forget where I am and I go off on trails and it gets a little difficult at times. But, you, you know, this now 
is what God wants, which I spent years trying to make it as a writer and I never could because I would never put in that 100%. I'd put in 50, 60%. Um, and that, you know, but it didn't have purpose and the writing means nothing if it doesn't have purpose. Uh, the podcasts mean nothing if they don't have purpose. Um, you know, I started off wanting to entertain people and now I just want to educate. And that's where people like you come in. Um, you know, the thing for me as I'm listening to you, Jack, is I hear you and I can hear that in a way, please, I, I'm not disrespecting you in any way, but you're almost undermining yourself because I hear you speak with purpose. And the one thing I know about being a survivor is that you actually sometimes cannot embrace the good in yourself. Not Self-sabotage. Yeah, self-sabotage, absolutely. And it's that thing. And, and other people will say to you, Jack, I can hear you. And you know what, Jack? You are an amazing person that is sharing this message and you're doing fantastic. It means nothing unless you own it yourself. And I'm, I'm saying that from personal experience actually mm. that's where i'm speaking from and you know for me it's taking time to be kinder to myself to accept that and i really struggle to receive praise i really yeah. struggle because i i'm here because i believe in it i'm here because i'm doing and for those people that don't walk in faith it's fine because you might say, I'm here because I'm doing God's work. I'm here because I, I believe it in faith. And I think we have to speak to a broader audience in that. Yeah. But with all of us, that we, we struggle sometimes to allow the ego to come before ourselves. We've met many mm. people that walk into meetings where the ego enters before the human being. Mm. Um a lot of that is rooted in our experience in the past of being less treated less than what we were deserved. And actually, I recognize that in myself, in that my past has meant that from the age of 14 onwards, I've craved the acceptance of my parents and my family. And that has affected my self-esteem on my own self-worth. That is something I've had to recognise in myself. And that denial and hope prepared me well for the role of victim. Because in my head, I was denying how they treated me badly in the hope that they would accept me. But there was some comfort in not confronting the gut-wrenching feeling in my stomach. The voice that was telling me that this is not right because it gave me the day of avoidance of not having to face the facts that enable us to live in hope. So for your listeners, I would say, you know, don't make excuses for the family because or those who've treated you wrong, because we shouldn't make excuses for people that treat us less than what we deserve. My mother, God bless her, reinforced my position of unworthiness in every contact that I had with her, every opportunity. And I have to understand 
that she was the first generation. She was somebody who was married at young that was only passing on her belief and value systems. But that doesn't make it right. <laughs> you know, and that's why I left. I look at my own children, my grandchildren. I don't want you to inherit that. But that doesn't make my mother wrong because of where she was at that, at that time. And I'm just in a place where I'm feeling this sense of, you know, it was painful for me to accept the fact that my mother was a perpetrator, actually, and yeah. is a liar. You know, I have to accept that, you know, and that I was not worthy of her love and kindness. But I'm in my oldest self have learned that I am worthy of love and kindness because that's what I deserve. But the loss of those people that didn't treat me as well as I should have been treated. And I just hope, I really hope and pray that people recognize that. And it takes time and courage to challenge the very things that you've taught to accept as truth. Yes. Yeah, because we, as children, we, I suppose we imprint you know, yeah. Um, I try to be the best father that I can. I wasn't always a good father, you know, um, mm -hmm. because of the um, situation that I was in yeah. and the things that, um, you know, before I met my wife now, but the things that my daughter saw, she saw her dad going through and she saw him you know, really hurting and, and, and that hurt her. And even though I tried to not let it affect her, yeah. it quite obviously did. Um, to do that with purpose, with a message of, you know, um, right or wrong, that, that you know, this is how we were brought up. This is how you will be brought up. This, you know, you will marry this, 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 man just because that's in that generation it doesn't mean that it should be in your generation and it shouldn't definitely shouldn't be in your children's generation um it happens um we ignore it we need to not ignore it so can you tell us how can we what can we look for in in our friends, you know, maybe family and, and, you know, people that we know, what can we look, you know, are there any sort of things, any triggers that we can look out for? Are there any signs? What can we do as a generation to fight this issue? I think as with many survivors, your natural sense of trust and love becomes twisted and it can leave you with years of issues of basic trust, low self-esteem and yearning just to be loved. It creates a greater need in you and it can create a sense of mistrust where people become guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I've learned, if I can share with people, 
please. Is that it is not selfish to put you first? <laughs> Independence is a beautiful concept that I've not learned from a very young age. And it's yours to embrace. And I would say, listen to your intuition. You know that gut feeling? You know, sometimes we feel that gut feeling. You know, you. if I'm going to speak in an event or if you're in a... Anybody out there listening, if you're in an uncomfortable position, you get those butterflies in your stomach. You know, that is your intuition. It's speaking to you right there. It's saying, uh-oh, something isn't right. I need to tune into it. Mm. Listen to that. If you're feeling that intuitive feeling that is telling you that something isn't right or something is right, maybe, listen to that because that's normally right and how many of us ignore that because we do we too second guess, second yeah, guess we, a lot. Do. we do and I, I i look back on some of the choices i've made on my life's journey and i realize just how important it is to listen to that but also to speak your truth to honor how you feel even if it takes courage even if you think the person hearing this is not going to like what you're going to say. So what is the risk of not saying it? Mm. It's a risk to you, actually. Yeah. So dare to say it because, you know, if you don't, it's going to impact on your mental, physical well-being. And we know the body holds on to memories. You know, I... Mm. I'm, I know when I look back and I think about some of the illnesses I've had in my life, I fundamentally believe they have been attributed to some of my traumas in my life. And I use the word trauma now because I never could use it before. I could not identify with having trauma in my life. You know, that, that happens to other people, not me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being honest with you, Jack. And... Um, I recognize now the body holds on to trauma physically yeah. and it will manifest itself through illness. I had meningitis and I remember having bacterial meningitis and I remember the trigger of something that was going on in my life that triggered that, you know, and I believe fundamentally you can have all that stuff around you, you know, nice house, whatever you think is good stuff mm. but it means nothing to me unless mentally i'm okay mm. because mental illness for me is linked to the well-being of of what is going on up here and the body basically is it has a memory of all the experiences that happen in your life you have lots of memories stored in your brain mm that you, you recount at any given moment. The body doesn't forget. Mm. It holds it and it can come out just like that. It manifests its, itself in many ways. Yeah. You know, um, before I decided to get honest with myself, you know, yeah. um, I have this whole thing now about accountability. Mm. So I need to not only be accountable to myself and to my family, I need to be accountable to my elders at church, um, you know, um, and 
you know, I've, I've sat and I've spoke about, you know, when I, I do it on here and I've done it in my books, getting honest about my mental illness and some of the things that have triggered that, um, the way that my body has reacted is being difficult at times. There was a time when I couldn't walk for a long time, got a paresthesia down the left-hand side of my body, which is a form of porterosis. Um, you know, the anger that I carried in my body um, was causing me to constant backache, neckache. Um, you know, it's it's dangerous. It's poisonous. We we hold this in, and it's it's so poisonous to us. Um, and it can go two ways. It can poison us as people, or it can poison our words and our actions, and that can come out as venomous. Um, and that's how we treat other people. Um, you know, uh, compassion wasn't a natural thing yeah. for me. Um, See, I, yeah. I, I understand that, Jack, because sometimes you can lose the gift of humanity because you've been treated so badly that you think, you could just lose belief in people, in human beings, actually. And um, you have to come to a place of, actually, it's no joke. We've got one life. I know it's a cliche. We have no idea how long we're going to be on this planet, you know. Um, but it is one of those things in terms of you look deep into the soul of, I'm here. For me, what makes me feel more worthwhile about the life that I've been given, and I'm grateful for the life that I've been given, is that in the last quarter of a century or more, I've, I've been able to make a difference. And I'm proud of that. And the, my children are proud of that. And I'm glad that they're proud of that. I hope my grandchildren will be proud yeah. of that. My partner's proud of that. you know, And uh, my friends that love me are. And I just need to accept that about myself, that I played a part in that. <laughs> um, humility yeah. is a wonderful thing. It is. But it's, uh, I'm not going to become somebody that becomes bigger than that. It, what I mean by that is, you know, I, I don't sign up to people say the famous people. For me, if you're in a position of fame, position of power well how are you going to use that power to make a difference that's that's how i think um and I, sometimes i struggle to accept some of the difference that i've made and my partner john will say to me taking me years to meet him by the way somebody that actually understands me and is willing to accept me um not in a bad way but you know people who are out there who are listening that know, that understand, it's taking, it can take time to allow somebody into your life that you can allow them to become close to you because trust is a big issue when you've been hurt, um, it's been abused. Understand that for somebody to get a bit close to you, and it's a bit difficult for them as well because they've got to learn to live with a survivor, I suppose, and all the things that come with that. 
They love you, they will. Um, I've lost my thread. But the point I was making was that um, people might say to me that you've made a massive difference, Jaswinda. You know, you've, you've got this, that, whatever, in terms of recognition. But I find it difficult to receive that because there's still so much more to do. And it's wonderful for the cause that those recognitions are happening. But it's a very difficult thing for you to accept it for me. And maybe that's something about me and my own self-worth, maybe. I don't know. But I'm still working on that, and I'll be honest about that. I think we, as people, as survivors, we invest so much in our own past, in our own story, and in the education of that, and trying to educate other people, and trying to give other people a voice. I yeah. think that through trying to give other people a voice, we sometimes stifle our own. Uh, and that, I think that is part of the sort of, sort of self-sabotage. And I think that we, we, when we get to a certain point, we try to distance ourselves from our own story. Mm. You know, when we get to a point we're sharing the story, we kind of distance ourselves from it because, you know, it might get too painful or, it, you know, it might start dragging things up. Um you know, uh, I do realise that we are talking about things that, you know, people might watch down the line, um, you know, uh, and it, it, it trigger certain things. Yeah. I've never really been one for putting trigger warnings on things, um, especially myself. Yeah, I trigger myself a lot. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you know, but um, I think that's part of growth um, and oh. to do to do what we do and to do what you do on an international basis um, and, uh, you know, educate about forced marriage, about honour-based, um, you know, honour-based abuse. Um, I do I do want to kind of come come back around to that and, you know, ask you if, if you could explain what honour-based abuse is to um, people that might not necessarily know what that is. Yeah. And... And Jack, I appreciate you inviting me today because you said to me, and we've never spoken before, that you have an audience that have probably never heard of these sort of issues before. Yeah. And uh, they're the platforms that I, I feel are incredibly important because the way we're going to change things is to speak to people that are not the converted, as in they've never heard this before. Yeah. So... Um, if you think of me as somebody that was born here in Britain like you and raised here and went to school just like you, and one of the things that was different about my upbringing and my sisters was that we had to live a life whereby we understood that we had to behave in a certain way so not to dishonour our family. And we understood that if we behaved in that way, then there would be a punishment for us. So, for example, we were not allowed to um, talk to boys, look at boys, wear makeup, cut our hair, express ourselves through music or friendships, go to the school disco, we'd be escorted to and from home. You know, 
I wasn't allowed to even have white friends. That was deemed as shameful because you're behaving like them. Um, so the point I'm making is that all those behaviours that you would regard as normal behaviours in everyday life, in my family dynamic, were deemed as dishonourable and shameful. And if we towed the line and we crossed that line, let's say, then we would be punished. And we understood that as part of our upbringing. So when I think of myself as a campaigner and I look at the kind of cases I've campaigned for, you look at Shafila Ahmed, who was born in uh, Bradford, then lived in Warrington. She was um, an aspiring barrister she wanted to be, a lawyer, um, an ASAR student at school, and her family believed that she was behaving dishonorably because she dared to want to integrate with her mates, go out with them, wear makeup, talk to boys. They saw that as shameful behavior and a consistent basis, they would abuse her. She was being beaten by her mother and father. To cut a very long story short, the family did not accept her shameful behavior and um, she was murdered by her mother and father. Her um, one parent sat on her legs while the other suffocated her to death with a carry bag. She was 17 years old and she was murdered for what you would deem normal adolescent behavior. You know, wanting to achieve and aspire here in England with ambition was deemed as dishonorable and shameful. That's one of many cases I could refer to you. So, you know, this could be happening to your friend, your neighbor, somebody in your area. And it's important that we recognize these signs. And I understand that for you hearing this, it will beg a belief. You'll think, what, really? How could a mother do that or a father? But it's happening. It's happening to thousands of young people across the UK. And I regard myself as one of the lucky ones that got away when I was 16 years old. Um, so, uh, tell me about Karma Nirvana. Yeah, so the charity Karma Nirvana means peace and enlightenment, basically. So, um, the name was basically because I I saw it as, um, I, you know, I wanted to, well, all people out there to achieve a sense of peace and ultimately achieve what we all want to achieve, be to be enlightened, but whatever it is. And um, I established it in 1997 as a result of my sister Rabina's death. So I ran away from my first marriage, but Rabina, who was two years older than me, was forced to marry a stranger subsequently she suffered a horrific marriage she was abused physically and psychologically later on in her life rubina set herself on fire and she committed suicide and my family's view was it was better for her to take her life than for her to dishonor her family and shame them by um, divorcing her husband and it was rubina's death that ultimately made me feel that you know things have to change and I need to um, speak out about my own experience and hers. And that's when I established Karma Nirvana. So charity back then, the vision was to increase awareness, 
reduce isolation to save lives. That mission has never changed. And um, the charity started off in my front room. The helpline was in my front room when I was uh, pregnant in my final year with my son, Jordan. And, um, you know, for the first seven years, you're just volunteering. But if you have conviction, you believe in something, you carry on, you carry on. I had so many doors closing in my face. No, this was what happened in England, you know. And, that, you know, it happens in that country over there somewhere. And I would say, hang on, I was born here. It happened to me and I'd share my sister's story. And that was when the first time I started to share my story. So um, the charity is now 25 years old. I stepped down as a CEO in 2018. I didn't step down until we'd achieved a criminal offence of forced marriage. The charity raises national awareness. It's doing fantastic things. It has a national helpline. But in my time, when I established it from my front room, and then in 2008, became the National Helpline. I campaigned with government to make it National Helpline. It's received over, back then, from my memory, over 20 or thousand calls to the helpline, maybe more than that. So now it's dealing with over 900 contacts with the helpline a month. So I stepped down because after 25 years, when you're a founder, of a charity, it consumes you. It's, it's not a nine to five job. My children used to say the three, Jordan, Anna and Tasha, that mom, we don't have three children in the family, we have four, the fourth is Carmen Nirvana. In fact, mm. I believe my son's first words will be Carmen Nirvana in 1997. <laughs> um, so now it's going on, it's doing fantastic thing. And the wonderful thing is that my daughter, Natasha, is taking it forward as the executive director. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, that's, that's one hell of a legacy to give to your children that, you know, um, that is, that's a difficult thing to set a charity up. You know, I've, I've, I've looked at it and yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's not, it, it does consume a lot of time, a, a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine the time that you have, I won't say lost with your family because, you know, at the end of the day, um, you, you know, with your children, it, it, you know, it's time that you haven't spent with them, but it's been for a cause. Um, you know, I, I'm always telling my, my kids. That there is a cost, Jack. There is a cost in terms of time. Yeah. You know, I look back now and I, I think about, I don't like to think of it as time robbed because at the time, you understand that? I'm writing my fourth book right now. And in that book, I'm really reflecting on the time. I'm looking back on my 25 years and I'm sharing the experience of what that has meant to me and looking back now you see when i left calm nirvana in 2018 you have to remember when you're engaged in something it's as if you're on a treadmill yep you know you're constantly on the go then when silence hits because you allow you've allowed it to so i left calm nirvana and now i have a time of silence then i have time to think because i'm in a way, I look back and I realise that some of the 
what the pain that I experienced with my sister, my own experiences, I poured it into the charity Palm Nirvana. So I've never had, I, I never actually had the time to actually rationalize it and to think about it. Whereas now I do when I left in 2018. And this is where you really think about it. So I'm reflecting on that time and I'm writing about that right now in a very honest mm. account. Those people who've read Shame will know that it was a very honest account. But this book is going to be even more honest because I'm reflecting on the journey of 25 years. I'm also looking back at my relationships with my mother, my father, and being quite, because I can look at it differently now. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that that whole process also means me having counseling because counseling is healthy. It is. For somebody that was taught to be silent, you're taught it's not, but actually it is. So that's a process that I'm going through right now. And, um, you know, I, I look at it very differently. I can, I can understand what you say to the fact that I grew up in a time, you know, in, in, in the late 70s, 80s and 90s, uh, in, you, you know, in, in a town with, uh, you, you know, in a family with certain values, um, you know, and one of the things that, not necessarily, I love my dad's bits, he's, he's my, one of my heroes, um, you know, the, the, the manners, you know, you know, he, I, I love him to bits, but the toxic thing that I had when I was growing up is, you know, a man should provide, um, you know, yeah. uh, you don't complain, you don't complain about your illnesses, you know, you don't even necessarily even go to the doctors, you don't, you know, mental illness doesn't exist, you know, I, I got put into the to the special school system through the educational department, like I said, because I was dyslexic. And, um, you know, I was seen as special because I was maladjusted because I was naughty, because I couldn't read. And that's what it was. It wasn't the fact that I was dyslexic because there wasn't even a proper word for it back then. It was the fact that I was naughty so hence maladjusted, so I needed to be in this special school. Um, and these are all the toxic things that we used to believe in when I was growing up. And that, that's in a, a, a white working class family, um, you know, uh, surrounded by white working class families. Um, and, you know, some of these things went with me and some of these things I've had to dump along the way, yeah. you know, about how we feel about mental illness. Yeah. Being a nutter all my life, I know what mental illness really is, you know. Um, I've been told to suck it up. I've been told to, you know, get over myself. I've been told that I'm just causing my own drama. Um, and it really doesn't help um, because... You know, that's a toxic in other people's life. And I think that that is one of the things that we as survivors need to teach other people. 
about the toxicity of how we think. And that means stepping out in faith. That means stepping out in things that are uncomfortable and talking about it. But much of what you're saying, Jack, I think, has been informed by other people in terms of how you're describing what you've been thinking. You can't, you cannot face and fix something unless you're prepared to face it. But, but you also have to be very honest about how some of that has been informed by other people's opinions and how those opinions actually don't matter. And I say that as somebody who's been raised to believe that your behaviour, what you can and cannot say, is rooted in what other people think about you. And that that's the truth. That's how mm -hmm. I've been raised. So it's taken me years to unlearn that actually that doesn't matter and to own that. And that, that, that can require people to really shift their own belief and value systems. Because I think when you when you start learning that, you, you've got to be prepared to come out of your comfort zone. Because we can be really comfortable in our comfort zone, which is why it's called a comfort zone. But actually, you have to be really brave to come out of that comfort zone. You may not see it as bravery at the time. You might see it as ludicrous and you know, why am I different? I actually see difference as a wonderful thing. Yeah. As I'm older, at the time I didn't. I just wish when I was younger, somebody had told me that. Somebody had said, actually, different, you know, being different is not so bad. He said, I have a black spot here. And people can see that there. And, um, I was the only one with a black spot on my face. My mother used to rub it and rub it and rub it. And she used to say, that's not good. You know, that's that's different. And she constantly tried to scrub it. I said, mum, it's there. It's constantly there. You can't rub it off, right? And um, she constantly referred to this black spot and my difference and then other differences because of this. And now I'm really pleased about it because she made me think differently. But as a young person, I didn't appreciate that until I got older. Because otherwise, I would have gone through with that marriage. I'd been like my sisters. I'd have not questioned it. And I just feel that I want people to hear that it takes immense courage, self-courage, to step out. It does. And it is scary. But... There is a lot more support today than what there was in our day. I don't mm. know for you, Jack, but for me, you know, there's a lot more awareness and support. The fact you and me are talking about this today mm. is a massive significant. We wouldn't have heard this back in the flipping eighties, early eighties. No. Yeah, but but you're not on your own, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, th I think that's what we 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 need to learn that. I wish that when I was growing up that I would, you know, I always felt different and I wish somebody would have told me uh, that that was okay. Yeah. And that's okay to be different and it's okay to feel different. I, you, you, you know, but that wasn't done in towns like I grew up in, you know, that's not down 
down to my upbringing. That's that's down to the the whole societal, um, you know how how it's built, um, and how it was at school and yeah, things like that. And it's 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 these things that yeah, that, you know I I you know I probably don't tell my kids this enough, but you know I I'd, I'd, I'd like them to know that it's okay to be a bit different you know to be as different as you want to be be who you want to be um i'm still learning to be comfortable in my own body i'm still yeah. learning to be who i want to be yeah. so you know it feels kind of i won't say counterproductive but it feels kind of weird telling my kids to do that but it's you know it's about unlearning the crap that we absolutely we're taught and actually learning the the right way sort of reprogramming um you know sort of 2.0 or 1.5 or whatever um you, you know it's, it's a massive journey uh, and it's not going to be easy and there are people that are out there that were that are where i was six seven years ago and i know for a fact there are people watching this that have been through some horrific abuse, but there's also people watching this that don't even know what uh, you know abuse is and, and haven't even sort of started to look at it in their own lives because yeah. it's only when you think actually what they're saying, I kind of I can kind of feel like that because blah blah blah, um, yeah. and I, I, you know that is a bonus of what you do what i do what you know what i'm learning to do um i suppose it's kind of like a second child out you know as children we learn um and some things as adults we need to unlearn but we don't stop learning you know um i'm still learning to take my foot out of my mouth half the time um you know i don't always say the right thing i don't always think the right thing Sometimes I'm unfiltered, you know, I might blame that on the brain damage, but it's down, you know, it's not always down to that. It's a bit of a cop out at times, you know, um, it's down to actually ignorance sometimes. Or even trust. Sorry? Even trust. Sometimes it's down to being defensive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my, my wife will tell you and my children will tell you that I can get defensive um, but, but it's interesting that you say your wife and your children because it's it's the people that you can trust that you can be like that with hmm. you know I know I can get away with some stuff with the people that I trust implicitly like my partner with are very close friends because I can be completely bare with them hmm. you know, if you you can grow in so many ways with the people that will give you the benefit of the doubt and take a bit of slack because you trust them and you can be a little bit less defensive with them and they know, they understand you. And that That is a massive part of the journey, finding people you can trust. So I've not had family in my life. So it's the friendships that I've developed that have enabled me to grow. That is family. That is To family. me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we don't have to be related. One thing I know is that you don't have to be blood to be family. 
no. um, you know, and there are people now around in my life, like like um, my best friend, closest friend Earl and um, Josie, um, who I told you about earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the sort of honesty of them yeah. um, that really has sort of opened up a a whole new world. It's it's just you know, there's there's no need to be how we were. Um, and honesty for me wasn't always a good thing. I wasn't the most honest person in the world, and for good reason. For good reasons, sometimes, and, and, and for reasons that you know um, I won't go into. But you know, like I said, I've done some things that I'm not proud of in my life. Um, some things that I seriously regret. But the difference now is that regret. isn't something that I use to self-sabotage. It's something that I look to that behavior was then. Yeah. That's how not to be. This is how to be. That's a, you mass know. That's a massive growth and learning curve for you, Jack. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you know, I, I still do things wrong. Um, no, I st you're... still make mistakes and, and sometimes the easiest thing is to, you know, um, maybe lie to yourself or, you know, did you do this? No. Um, it's, it's not, for, for children, it's, it's difficult. I think for adults, it's kind of a bit more difficult because we are expected to be a certain standard, especially as parents as well, and we're expected to set a certain standard. Um, and, you know, we need to realise that we make our own mistakes with ourselves. Um, this, this goes back to the whole thing that I'm learning now is about being kinder. To be kinder to yourself. It's a bit of cliche, but it, it, it's okay to look at yourself and think you know what that that was a mistake or that was something that i did at that time in my life in that place that time and place in my life that vulnerable place in my life and be kind to yourself and saying yeah i get that and understanding that and that that's part of the journey because the journey is, it goes on and on and on. And the point about it is for me, hindsight is a wonderful thing <laughs> because I can look back and say, if I'd have known what I knew then, now. So that's the thing that you can pass on to other people. And that's the gift, isn't it? <clears throat> and that, that's what we can take forward. But it is a journey, and it requires courage, and it and it never ends. It doesn't. It doesn't. But I'm really pleased to be talking to you, Jack. It's same here, same here. I mean, it's 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 been eye-opening. I must admit, um, you know, um, I, I realised that, you know, I can pretty much 
take anything aboard and 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 keep it. I must admit, I've 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 really struggled to keep my emotions in check tonight. Um, you know, some of the things that you've told me have got me angry. Some of them have just plain upset me. I I've lost. I lost my best friend when I was younger to suicide. Um, he threw himself in front of a train because his parents didn't understand why he was gay. And it's, so things like that really sit. I've lost other people to suicide. I've lost people to, to murder. I've, I've, you know, I've lost people to just not wanting to know who I am anymore because of the pain that I've caused them, which is fine. That's, you know, that's them. But, you know, it's um, it's still, you know, I, I won't say raw, but, you, you know, I need to hear these things. Um, and not that I'm forcing this onto other people, but I need other people to hear these things because these these stories, I didn't have a voice for a long time. I didn't felt that I didn't have a voice. Yeah. I didn't have an ability to get that voice across. Um, you know, uh, my, my now wife, um, you know, she saw that the want that I had to write, she fully supported me in the first book and in the second book. And, you know, it was down to Rob Breton really at, at Warcry Publications that, that went, you need a platform, I'll give you a platform. And that's that's what it does, you know. I, I might not have sold millions of books, or even thousands of books, but just to affect one person, um, is my job done, really? Yeah, I'd hope to affect more than that, but you know, just my initial goal was to affect one person, and then they could have kind of like a pay it forward. Um, yeah. This has gone far beyond that now. Um, there was a time when I wanted to, you know, I started this before Christmas and I doubt myself and that, you know, I'll say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to stop it, I'll quit this. Um, and then people will go, no, actually, because we're watching it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, kind of deviated again, but tell me about your CBE and how you got that. And Just, just going back to what you just said, um... You are affecting change, Jack. Own that. I, I, I do own that now. I know that. Yeah. But it, it wasn't something that I thought, you know, you know, I thought people just might watch this and think, oh, well, you know, it's a, it's a good little show. Um, and then after the first, after, after I interviewed Peter Blexley, that was the defining moment for me because he, you know, he opened up. People were loving the live thing. Um, and then he really opened up. Uh, and then I realised that actually this, Facebook can be the... Uh, and Twitter and Instagram can be so toxic a place mm -hmm. that it really affects you. And there have been times when I've wanted to come off. There have been times when I've been banned for, um, you know, trying to fight for survivors and, the, you, you know, and I wanted to implement a little bit of difference and I wanted to entertain, but educate, 
Yeah. I wanted to give myself a little bit of courage because I've been honest with you, you know, I want to speak to people. I want to, you, you know, I, I want to get over the fear of standing up on that stage uh, and talking to people and helping people seriously implement change in their life. And me overstepping my fear of speaking publicly was doing this and it's helped me massively um, well, in my confidence. Well, you certainly got my attention. <laughs> it's, 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 and when you wrote to me, by the way, your email was such a sincere email in terms of what, what you were saying about wanting to raise awareness. You know, and sincerity is a massive trait, character trait for people. You know, there's bullshit, isn't there? But there's sincerity, and the sincerity you can feel as a human being. Yeah. I felt that with your email. And I wasn't always that. No. You know, I I will openly admit that in the past I used people for my own gain. Um, Some people like admitting that. And yeah, as as a, as a as a criminal, it you know, and as 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 a person, it often benefited me. I treated people badly, and for that I have regrets. But for that, there are always people that will say, "A leopard can't change its spots. You can't teach an old dog new tricks." Well, yes, you I can. That. <laughs> when when I died in that hospital, I became I became someone else. When I was in that church declaring my faith in front of my family, in front of the consultant that thought I was going to die, getting baptised with his son, um, when I got baptised, I was reborn. And people don't understand that. And I've, I've got friends who I love very much, who love me very much, that don't understand my faith. Yeah. But my faith is a big part of my journey. Uh, and it's a big part of your journey. It's a big part of a lot of people's journey. I think we all have coping mechanisms and we have ways to think. I take responsibility, not only for my past. I own that from what I've done. I also take responsibility for the changes that I've implemented in myself. Um, but I also hold up to God that he has been that biggest factor in my life. I hold that up to my wife that actually didn't listen to people when they said he's bad news. Um, I hold that up to my children that have, you know, defended me. And I hold that up to people that follow me now um, that, you know, have, have, I'm not bothered about other people forgiving me now. I've forgiven myself, and that was yeah, that was the biggest. Yeah. Um, that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, it's. You see, people, some people think that forgiveness is about forgiving others, when actually it's about 
you forgiving yourself. And I, I remember feeling that I was the perpetrator with my family. I'd done this to them for many years and I had to learn to let that go, forgive myself for that. And even now, I look at my family, I think, I haven't got the energy, the time to forgive you. That, that, that's with you. I leave that at your door. Exactly. The important thing is for my peace and for me to feel that. But, but another thing, Jack, is that, and I know that you're a born again Christian, as I am, but for the people listening that may not be religious, I just want them to understand that this is about human compassion. This is about recognizing what is right and what is wrong. You don't have to walk in faith to know that. As a human, you intuitively, you know what is right and what is wrong. I've raised my children not to be Christians because I don't. I would never want to force a religion on no. them. They have to find their way. Yeah. But what I know is I've, I've taught them right from wrong. That's the important thing. Mm. And, that, and that's what if somebody hearing right now, I don't want them to think that it was my faith that enabled me to acknowledge, recognizing my family and what the wrong they did to me. Yes, it, it was for me in different ways. I was unable to understand forgiveness. Mm. I want them to understand that I want you to hear what is right and what is wrong is wrong. <laughs> what is right is right. And to stop from that. Yeah. We have 15 minutes left. Well, um, it, it, it's set at 15 minutes, but it can go forever, however <laughs> long. Um, these things, you know, I've had ones that have lasted half an hour. I've had one, you know, uh, ones that lasted like nearly three hours. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, what I did want to say about what you've just said is one of my great heroes, heroines, is um, a woman called Corrie Ten Boone. Corrie Ten Boone. And Corrie Ten Boom was uh, a uh, watchmaker's daughter. And during the, the Second World War, her whole family was taken into a concentration camp and she watched her sister get repeatedly raped. She was repeatedly raped. Um, they humiliated them. They shaved their heads that you, you know um she hid young girls in this concentration camp away from the nastiest guards often putting herself in front of them and many years later she found god and um many years later she was speaking at an event and after the event she looked at a, a man waiting to speak to her and he was the nastiest guard that, that that was in the concentration camp and she was filled she said she was filled with horror and dread and hate that was her instinct to hate him um and he went up to her and he said i was one of the guards at, at the concentration camp and i did some awful things to people I did some awful things to you please forgive me and she said to herself 
she 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 hated him with every single muscle, every single bone, every single thought that she had was hate. And she thought, I cannot forgive this man. But then she was filled with peace. I can't forgive him, but God can. And she forgave him and she hugged him and she shook his hand and she said, you're forgiven. That, to me, I mean, like I say, Corrie, there's a quite a famous film called The Hiding Place. I would uh, recommend people to, to watch, which is about her life. Um, I've got people in my life that, you know, that, that have done great deal of wrong to me. And I couldn't forgive them at one time. I couldn't forgive myself. But God can. God can. And, and that for me was the, the biggest thing. When I heard that, God can. Because even when Pete, it's only when, when Jesus walked on water, people think it was just Jesus that walked on water. It wasn't that Peter was there. And it's only when Peter looked away from Jesus and looked down that he sank, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, we have to look at God. And I have to look at God. You know, I don't want to get all religious on people, um, yeah. but, he, he, you know, I think there's a massive difference between religion and faith. Uh, my faith is that my life is guided by God and by my family and by the people that I choose to spend my life around. Um, absolutely. You know, and it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and for me, the friendships have taken the place of family. I, I just want people to hear that for those who don't walk in faith, that don't have the anchor of faith to ground them in the way that you're describing, Jack is for them to, whatever their beliefs, is to go with their intuition, that gut feeling, and to know right from wrong. Because fundamentally, morally, we are guided by that principle. You know, you or I could ground it in, in belief in a different way, but for those who don't walk in faith, that may be atheists, still know right from wrong. You know, that if if our neighbour in the street was being treated badly, you know, we, we're not going to turn the blind eye. Mm. You know, and that, that's what I'm saying is that it's important that we we speak to everyone. Yeah. Because I don't want to speak to a, a, a smaller few of people. I want to be able to speak to a number of people. No, um, I, I don't think we should limit ourselves. No. You know. I have friends on Facebook and followers on Facebook that are Christians. I have follow followers that are Muslim. I have followers that are Buddhist. I have followers that are atheist. My close, one of my closest friends is atheist. Um, you know, uh, I also know some religious people that are quite the fact that they're nutters and that she, you know, quite toxic to be around. So it's 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 not you know. Yeah. I, I do want to say it is about personal choice, sure. but um, yeah, uh, can I, can, you know, can I ask you about your CBE? Sure. 
um, how how you got it and how it felt to be recognised for all that. I, I well, I don't know how I got it, <laughs> <laughs> albeit um, Commander of the British Empire. Basically, for those listening, you've got it, it's a recognition, isn't it, from the royal family? Yeah, you've got OBE, you've got MBE, OBE, MBE, I think, and CBE. Um, and for me, it was a wonderful achievement. You know, I was absolutely overwhelmed by that. Of all recognitions, for me, that was a big one. And regardless of what people might think about the British Empire, etc., my father, who came into this country in the late 1950s, you know, when the Queen was on the telly, you know, waving, he'd stand up and he'd make us all stand up with pride, you know, he came here in search of work, to make a better life for his children. And he was proud to be here. And we, I'm proud to be British. Yes, my heritage is Indian, but I do not know any country bar England. England is my home. So when people say, go back to where you come from, I'm thinking, what, Derby? Um, Derby, I was born in Derby, you know. But, but I'm just saying that for me to be recognised by the royal family was an amazing achievement because what was recognised was the issue of forced marriage. Yeah. And that's what I was being recognised for, the fact that I brought to the forefront the issues of forced marriage, honour abuse, and campaigned so hard to make forced marriage a criminal offence. And I remember... You know, it was a 10-year campaign. And when I was awarded the CBE, you know, my, my daughter was there. My son was there. My daughter was pregnant as well. And I, you know, they were in the front watching me. I remember when I graduated from, I was the first one to graduate from university. I know I'm digressing, but that's fine. As, as survivors, we have a butterfly mind, you know, we, yes. we go all over the place. Um, but also as creative thinkers, we, we have that. But the point is, is that, I remember when I graduated from university and I, I invited my father to my graduation, but he wouldn't come because I was disowned and he didn't want people to see him there. But on the front row was my, my, my two daughters and my son, Jordan, who was only four months old. And I managed to achieve my degree, my final year at uni. And I was allowed to give the student vote of thanks. My first speech I ever did in 1997. And the first people I thanked was my mother and father. So when I received my CVE, um, it, was, it was an immense gratitude of the fact that I was born in this country. It gave me the opportunities that it did. I've managed to fight for a cause that I believe in. And I remember it was Prince Charles who gave me my award and he whispered in my ear. And because you have to learn to curtsy and go up and put the, the pin on you and um he said um just Vinda, he said are you pleased force marriage is a criminal offense and i said absolutely i said it makes me proud to be british and it was a 10-year bloody hard campaign and um and he said we are very proud of you and i just felt this immense thing of wow wow i wish my father was there to see it my father was but he passed on by then because it was 2013. But, but I believe fundamentally 
that those who leave this planet don't leave you. And that that's just me. I see yeah. them, I hear them, I speak to them. I look for robins, the little birds that kind of like remind me that they're around me. But yeah, it was an immense feeling. And do you know what? More than anything, Jack, it, it was a immense feeling for the cause. I remember when um, Shame was published, my first book, and my editor ran me and Rupert Lancaster. And he said, just Linda, how does it feel to be a best-selling author? And my first response was, can you imagine how many people are reading this and listening to the issue of forced marriage? Wow, imagine what it's doing for the cause. And he said, well, hang on, just, just for one second, put the cause to one side, you're a best-selling author. And I went, no, that doesn't matter. Imagine how many people are listening to this. <laughs> and it's just the feeling of the CBE, the book, whatever I do, the platform it's given to the issue is for me is amazing because it's never about you, is it? it well, for me, it's not about me. It's about the issue. And that's the amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll start rounding up now, but um, what, what, what can we do to help, uh, you, you know, um, how can we, you know, Carmen Nirvana, obviously we've spoken about that. Is there other things that we can do to help to raise money, to raise awareness? I, I, I think for me, you know, when I've sat around tables in 25 odd years about the calls, in the first seven years, I couldn't get one person to hear what I had to say. Because they were like, nah, this doesn't happen here. You know, and I'd say, it happened to me. My sister committed suicide. There's the evidence. Um, it's not about money. It's about speaking about the issue. You know, talk, talk to your mates. I know we're in COVID. But in the local pub, you know, chat about this. Have you heard about this? This is happening. There's a, a criminal offence against forced marriage in this country. There's a national helpline that will help you. You know, 0805-999-247. That's a common one helpline. I think for me, it's about breaking the silences still. It's about, yeah, if people want to donate money. I don't like making this issue about money. No. Go to the common of honor website. But for me, it's about talking about it. It's about recognising. Jack, you, you were born here, were you not? Oh, yeah, I was born in Scotland, yeah. Okay. Okay, you're Scottish then. But the point is, the UK is your home. Yeah. It's mine too. I know when people look at me, they see difference. But actually, what I want people to see is very little difference. I want you to feel the compassion that I was born here and these things can be happening to somebody born here. And I want you to feel that and recognise that. We're talking about you know, eight-year-olds being engaged to strangers. We're talking about 12-year-olds being forced to marry, 16-year-olds being forced to marry, men and women, gay men being forced to marry because of their sexuality. You know, I've met the, the Naz and Matt Foundation. is a fantastic foundation. Google it. But Naz and Matt, Naz, 
and Matt were in love as a gay couple. Naz's family did not accept him as a Muslim um, gay guy and he basically committed suicide because his family wouldn't accept him. Now Matt is a campaigner because of that. You know, when you're forced into marriage, you're going to be raped on your wedding night. So I just want people to feel the injustices of these issues and from a human level to feel that for their fellow human beings the way I do. And um, I and I'm not promoting the book, Jack, but I would say visit the Carmen Nirvana website and read my book, Shame, because it's a very honest ex account of my experiences and that of others, and I try to be honest. And right now, as I'm writing my fourth book, I'm trying to reflect on that journey in honesty again as well. And, and also, Jack, to give you more platforms to share your <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, honesty is the message that we need to carry. Absolutely. Um, you know. Yeah. I think that even when people, you know, when you are made aware of things like forced marriage, you don't think of that. You, you, you think of grown women, you don't think of that five-year-old, that eight-year-old, you know. Um, that is stomach churning, you know. My my youngest boy, he'll be seven soon, you know. Um, my, my, my girl, she's like 13, she'll be 14 soon, you know. And I couldn't even begin to think about that, but five six seven eight you know first marriage to grown men um i don't think we actually think about that i think we put that to the back of our mind i think that things that are out of sight are out of mind and i think if we don't think about it um we just get on with our lives but you know I just think that's ignorant. I think we live in our own ignorance sometimes. And I think we need to stop. And I think we need to look at things like forced marriage, um, incest, rape, abuse, domestic violence, domestic abuse. Um, these are things that need speaking about. Yeah. You know, I, I got some shit. I made a film. A few years ago, the, the first film that I ever made, short film called Elise, based on a friend of mine. And um, it, it, I think, 13 um, festival selections um, for a five-minute film, a, a couple of award nominations. But the amount of hate that we got for that, because it's tackling something that people don't want to hear, and if they don't want to hear it, they won't hear it. Well, British, I won't hear this. And it, you know, it, it's, it's never going to go in uh, to, to some people. But some people, we need to be honest. And we need to, things like this. We need more podcasts. There's 
hundreds of podcast hosts about at the minute. You know, there are only a few that are doing live. Um, there are a lot that are now opening up to things about child abuse and, um, you know, child abuse inquiries and, uh, you know, the, uh, speaking to hunters and, and stuff like that. That's good. And that's brilliant. Keep doing that. But we need to be hearing more people like you. It is disproportionately men that are coming on. There's a lot of true crime people out there. And I started, I fell into that trap. I started off with the true crime stuff. And I like getting people in with the true crime because I like hearing people's stories. And I like other people to hear the stories because these people um, will stand up and say how it is. They won't glorify it, but they'll stand up and say how it is, how it was. Um, and we need that. We need that honesty. But we need to be talking about stuff like this. We need to be getting women, strong women, which is disproportionately men, we need to be getting strong women to do things like this, to bring it out into the open. I've got Tracy McNess on tomorrow night, who's one of, uh, who, who was a, a big female criminal, who's now a successful entrepreneur um, and owns, uh, you know, learned to take care of pigs in prison. And now she's got a, a, a company where she breeds pigs. Um, you know, I, I need to be getting people like you to be telling the truth because it's not happening, you, you know. Um, well, well, you have. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming on. Um, I'm going to wind this up now. Um, I'm going to say thank you to everybody uh, for tuning in. Um, I'm going to make no apologies for how it's gone, uh, for talking about faith and, and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And if you've been affected by anything, um, please don't let it sit on your chest. Please don't let it sit on your heart. If you need to speak to someone to speak to, message the page and I will put you in contact with the relevant people. Um, don't ever suffer alone, especially when we're talking about things like mental illness and, and stuff like that. Um, if you think that there's somebody um, that needs help uh, and wants to flag that up, please do. Um, and Jasvinder and I will work to uh, do our best to put you in contact with the right sort of people. As always, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, you know, I love it that, that you all, you know, come on and, and, and listen to me babble on at times. But um, I really do hope that you've been um, been seriously educated tonight. Uh, thank you, Jazz, for coming on. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and an eye-opener. To that, I will tell everybody good night. See you tomorrow night with Tracy McNess. Cheers, thank guys. You, yeah.